and welcome to Nesta Ideas, the podcast where we explore ideas and innovations that are helping to change lives. My name is Tara Hackett and I work in Nesta's Health Lab. So it's currently early May 2020 and we find ourselves in the midst of the coronavirus crisis. Many of the organisations we work with and support have had to change the way they operate and they've had to do this at a rapid pace. We've invited some of the people behind these organisations to share their experiences of quickly adapting to COVID and to talk about what they've learned since the lockdown changed the way we as a society live and work. Today, I'll be talking to Alex Smith, who is the founder and CEO of the Chaos Family, an organisation that connects old and young people to reduce loneliness. Welcome, Alex. Can you tell us a bit about how the Chaos Family all started? Today is actually the 10th anniversary of the idea um, of the Chaos Family, um, which, yeah, so uh, it's kind of a, a nice milestone for us. Um, I was, um, I'd spent the previous kind of five or six years in my early 20s working in pubs and record shops and a supermarket and a school, places that always struck me as places of community. Um, and then I thought that um, politics was a way to embed that type of community. So I stood for my local council in the area that I grew up back in. In fact, it was May the 6th, um, 2010. Um, and on election day, um, 10 years ago today, I was knocking on people's doors, trying to get people to come out and vote. Um, and behind one of the doors, I met an 84-year-old man whose name was Fred, um, who said he'd love to come out and vote. He'd never missed an election in his life. Um, but he hadn't seen anyone for three months. He hadn't spoken to anyone for three months, apart from his carer that brought him his breakfast in the morning, his dinner at night. Um, so he wouldn't be able to come out and vote, not today. Um, and there was a wheelchair behind Fred and I was drumming up votes for myself. So I cheekily suggested that if he was comfortable, I would wheel him down the road to the local voting place, um, so that he could perform that kind of democratic duty that he obviously so valued. And while we were out, he started getting animated. He started waving to neighbors and saying hello to people. He said it was great to be out with a younger person in particular who he could share some stories with and chat to. But as I dropped him back home, he said there's one more thing that he really needed, which is to be able to get a haircut. So the next day, having lost my election, um, I returned to Fred's flat again and wheeled him down the road to the local barber shop. Um, and while Fred was in the barber's chair, he started to tell me stories about his life. Um, he told me that he'd been a performer on cruise ships around the world. Um, he told me that he played at the London Palladium in the 60s as a performer. Oh, wow. Um, he told me that he loved the Rat Pack and Sinatra, and I loved the Rat Pack and Sinatra. Um, but most importantly, the thing that really stuck with me was that he had set up and run the shop that was my favorite place growing up when I was a kid in Camden Town, um, Escapade, an old fancy dress and joke shop. Um, so he and I had met before 20 years earlier. Um, but obviously we'd become estranged from one another and I'd been a kid when we'd previously met or known one another. And that got me thinking that there must be a lot of people like Fred with amazing stories to tell of love and loss and hope and heartbreak and mischief and misadventure through their lives with deep roots in the community, but not very many connections as the world changes around them. And thousands of people like me who 
you know, ostensibly live exciting lives, commuting to work and spending time with other people and going to the pub and feeling like we're part of something, but not necessarily part of the local community. Um, and so in that moment, the idea for then North London Cares was born and working with Nestor over the last nine years, we've, um, we've been able to scale, as you said. So it's been an amazing journey. Sitting and having tea, and then mm-hmm. to going outdoors and exploring the world together. And I felt so so great, you know, meeting her and therefore meeting all these other people. Everyone gets lonely as well, you know. Like mm. I, I get lonely too. So it's not just about helping older people; it's about helping younger people to connect with people that they might not usually be able to. They loved having a friend, and I loved having them. You had this connection with Fred and having some really great conversations and finding lots of similarities. But how how was that then kind of translated into the Carey's family that we know of today? There's a stat that really sticks with me that is that while 72% of adults in the UK think that knowing their neighbours is of fundamental importance to individual and community well-being, 73%, almost exactly the same, slightly higher proportion, don't themselves know their neighbours. So it struck me that in this world of change where we're all isolating ourselves from one another in some way, particularly now, obviously, but, but this has been uh, a trend over the last 10 and probably 40 years, um, in that world, we need to take a leap of faith and we need to spend time with other people who are not like us, and particularly with people from another generation who have experienced how the community has changed. In the CARES family, we have four core programs. The first is called Love Your Neighbor. Um, They are um, relationships just like mine and Fred's, one-to-one friendships between people in their 80s and 90s with younger people, mostly in their 20s and early 30s. Um, And those people, we give them a budget to each friendship match of about £40 a year. And people will buy in a board game or a DVD to watch together. People get a takeaway or people will go out to a local cafe or pub um, or park to celebrate a 95th or 100th birthday. Both of those things have happened. Um, And that's a way for older and younger people to share the depth and and slowness of a long-burning relationship, a slow-burning relationship um, that enables them to find meaning over time. Um, The second program we run is called Social Clubs. It kind of does what it says on the tin. It's older and younger people in big groups, uh, ranging from uh, 10 older people and 10 younger people to up to 150 people all in a room at the same time. There are things like dance parties, new technology workshops, which we found we've been running these new tech workshops for the last eight or nine years. And obviously, they're coming in really handy now as the generations are finding new ways to connect. Desert Island Disc Nights is one of my absolute favorites where older and younger people share their favorite records um, and the stories behind those records and then have a dance together. Um, Eid parties, Halloween parties, Christmas parties, World Cup watch parties, all sorts of different social clubs that we run. Third program is outreach, which is how we find and bring in the older and younger neighbors who are part of it. So that's door knocking and working with GP surgeries, speaking to people in faith groups, speaking to people at supermarkets and at chemists to build trust um, and bring people into the community and then invite them along to those first two programs. And with the younger people, it tends to be online storytelling, uh, working through social networks, digital networks, employment networks to try and bring the younger people in and, and show the positivity and the power of those intergenerational relationships. 
uh, and the fourth program we call a core program um, it's community fundraising but we call it a core program because it's another way that older and younger neighbors can share time and camaraderie and new experiences together keeps all of our core programs free um, but also we found you know we've had an 80 year old running 5k around a local park uh, supported by his younger neighbors with banners cheering him on around the around the park and then we tell that story online and raised 1500 pounds i think it was through that particular one um so yeah community fundraising is kind of at the core of how we do what we do as well didn't realize what a lifesaver a phone is it could be a pain but it can be a lifesaver our volunteers are amazing they just bring so much energy and enthusiasm and vibrancy in early march we had a workshop at nesta as part of the accelerating ideas program and i remember if you don't mind me saying so, that you seemed preoccupied due to what was happening. Can you tell us a bit about that and how social distancing has affected the CARES family as you're all about bringing people together? Um, we were starting to hear from friends and partners in the community that already doctors were, uh, medical staff were making choices about who gets ventilators. Um, it was already more difficult in the NHS on the ground in local hospitals than was reflected in the national media at the time. And we were hearing these stories and we were, we were hearing the stories of older and younger people that are coming together every single day. They were starting to present with both fear of the virus and symptoms of the virus. Um, and so over the course of the next couple of days, March 11th, 12th, we took a pr pretty drastic decision, which was to um, completely suspend all of our face-to-face -face programs. Um, because we knew that the health of our neighbours, older and younger people, is always our number one priority. But we also took the decision, and we announced this on March the 13th, that we would suspend our programmes. And in that announcement, we said, but we know that older people in particular are both most at risk of the awful effects of coronavirus, but also the awful effects of social isolation. And therefore, we have to completely reinvent how we do what we do and we have to run into the fire of this crisis and we have to make sure that at this time when more people are going to become cognizant of social isolation loneliness and the awful effects of physical and social distancing not just now but in regular times too that we have to make sure that our communities are protected and staying together and staying connected and having phone calls and having you know staying in touch online and staying in touch through the post so we just made a decision to um to hold um, no fidelity to the programs, the four programs as I just described them, but to hold complete fidelity to relationships across the generations and find new ways to make those happen. And we spent the next few days um, thinking about how we can continue to make a difference and keep the generations connected. Um, and then by the end of the next week, really they had, for better and for worse, fallen back into the traditional program structure that I just described of social clubs one-to-one -one friendships, uh, outreach, and community fundraising. Social clubs would all have to go online, um, although we were conscious that only about 40% of the older people we work with have smartphones or Wi-Fi at home. So we would also need to find ways for people to phone in from landlines and mobiles into those social clubs, which we've now done as well. Love Your Neighbor and the one-to-one -one friendships would have to move to the phones, and we would expand that program to enable more people to get involved in that more quickly. Um, outreach would involve um, 
constant referrals in both directions with all of those community partners, councils, social services, GP surgeries, um, but also our staff team calling people in our communities who are the most vulnerable and who live alone or who are frail and maybe not able to get out of their house at all um, so that we could identify who might need medical supplies or food delivering to them and then we'd mobilize our networks to do that as well. And community fundraising, we'd have to be innovative and do things online and we launched a crowdfunder that week and um, that's now raised over £60,000 over the last couple of months. How did your like, team feel about it and, and, and the neighbours that you're working with as well? What was their kind of response to this kind of new approach? We've always been an organisation that has sought opportunities to do our work better. We have this mentality that we should um, adapt and change as the world changes around us. Um, so in that sense culturally it wasn't that difficult but I think also there was a realization and one of the messages that was going around our team a bit that week was this is what we came here to do we didn't think that it would be in a in a pandemic Um, but we came here all of us to try and reduce the awful effects of social isolation and loneliness and now, in a sense, everybody is lonely. Everybody is socially distant. Everyone, And so there is, it sounds craven maybe, but there is an opportunity in that, not only to make the biggest difference right now um, to the people that we work with, um, but also to use this experience, share more stories, and lift up this issue of social isolation, of loneliness, of intergenerational divides, of, of social divides more broadly, um, and talk about those issues very publicly and, and very confidently because we have 10 years experience nearly of doing this work. Um, so this is what we came here to do. The attitude in the team that first week was phenomenal. It was absolutely amazing. It, the, the experience made leaders of every one of the 35-odd people in our staff teams. Um, People were creative, people were innovative, people had high, high energy, um, and people were just determined to get things done because, as I say, the fidelity was to the people that we work with, not to the ways that we worked historically. But I think what's interesting is that underlying that, there were definitely individual, collective, and organizational fears. Would we be able to raise the money that we needed to to survive, let alone to make the biggest difference that we possibly could in this moment? Everybody is scared. Uh, about their relatives, about their communities, about the world and what this is going to mean for all of us. Um, And then, you know, operationally, organizationally, how would we work? We're an organization that is all about human contact and face-to-face relationships, not only in our core programs, but that's how we operate as a team as well. We're very tight. And so would we be able to communicate effectively? Um, And in that sense, again, we kind of made an opportunity of the crisis insofar as adapting how we talk to each other, very quick check-ins every morning on Teams. We talk to each other constantly on Zoom. We've got WhatsApp messages going all the time. Um, we instigated an all-team call initially every week and now every fortnight where people are sharing their, their learning and their best practices across the whole organization in, in the five different locations we're working in. Um, so we're, we're all having, I think it's fair to say most people in our team, certainly I have had a, a bit of a wobble where we're going, oh, God, this is going to go on for a while. Um, but you rejuvenate. And I think this has to be a period for everyone working in kind of social change and social innovation organizations to be generative 
and to think about the long term as well as the urgent crisis. And so we've done thinking about the future and what we're going to do and how we're going to expand our model and how we're going to hopefully inspire more people to um, to take the charge and take the baton of doing our type of work in their own communities. What do you think leaders and governments can do to promote neighbourliness and connectivity beyond this crisis? I would say three things that can be very easily done. The first is to have um, a, uh, a proper honours system and a proper recognition of the difference that community has made in this moment um, and that w- one that wouldn't involve the word empire in that honours system because I think that that's something that has been divisive and exclusionary for quite a while. Um, and so, you know, a, a kind of a, a lapel badge celebrating working in the NHS is probably not quite good enough, but a proper honour um, would be would be great. Um, I think also um, government should announce a Neighbour Day. They have one of these in Australia uh, that celebrates community and connection and neighbourliness. Because um, it comes back to that point, 72% of people think knowing their neighbours is important and 73% don't know their neighbours themselves. Well, if we give people permission to know their neighbours in the long-term future and have an annual neighbour day that enables street parties and you know people to reflect on what really matters, then I think that could make a difference. And the third big, big structural thing I think we should do is convert the now defunct Department for Leaving the European Union and all of its budget into a department or an initiative for an institution of connection. The research that that could enable, the funding that could enable for local community organisations um, and just the energy and momentum that that could enable for the long term, I think that could be a, a really powerful legacy of this moment if we were to do that. Thanks, Alex. I really love the idea of a neighbour day. This pandemic has brought a lot of change for the CARES family and the way you operate. Is there anything you've learned that you'll keep doing? There's been this amazing beauty of all five of our locations interacting together online. So there's been joint social clubs between Manchester and Liverpool Cares and Scousers and Mancunians speaking together about their kind of sibling histories and, and, and building connections that way because we've been able to do things digitally that we've not done before. Um, we've had cosy clubs, so as well as big online group activities, we have tiny, tiny little ones with just two or three people who aren't um, massively confident maybe in big groups and that's how they can build confidence at joining things in the future. So that might be something we'll do in the future. We've, we've definitely seen the value of expanding our one-to-one program to the phones um but i think we also know that face-to-face interaction is magic and we we will absolutely return when we can and when it's safe to some big element and i I think a primary element of our work will always be face-to-face but i think in terms of the big systemic and cultural things that we've also been talking about um and you know that that kind of thought of dealing with the world as it is but still working towards the world as it should be we've got plans for the future to innovate on new programs uh, we've just begun a three generation project where older people new parents and their very young kids can come together to create intergenerational relationships amazing uh, we've got a new program called the multiplier which is our way to uh, share some of our learning and experience uh, and build a community of people all around the country who are uh, creating bridge building and intergenerational projects in their own communities in their own ways and that we can support them to do that because we're a very bottom-up organization we don't just want to scale in perpetuity um and so that's an exciting program that we're looking forward to working on to expand the impact of the type of work that we do not necessarily our work but the type of work that we do 
How can people get involved to support the Cares family? If you live in East London, South London, North London, Manchester or Liverpool, uh, you can sign up to be part of it locally. In the short term, that'll all be online on the phone and by post. In the longer term, we hope we'll come back to the face-to-face work. Um, or people can donate as well. So we're, we're grateful for everyone's support, and especially Nesta. Thank you so much, Alex. Thank you, and thank you for everything that Nesta's done to support us. I think you say that um, your method is that you're challenging and supportive, and definitely feels like the relationship has been both those things, and we really appreciate it. Hi, I'm Vicky Selick, Executive Director of Programmes at Nesta. We recognise that the outbreak of COVID-19 is an exceptional event that is impacting so many of the social enterprises, charities, local authorities and schools that we support. We're doing what we can to provide extra support at this time and stand by all of our innovators and grant recipients as they respond to this crisis. To find out more about our programmes, events and research, sign up for our fortnightly newsletter at nesta.org.uk.